there's a difference between knowing somebody and then truly, truly knowing somebody. You knowing of somebody or knowing somebody intimately or personally. So we just prayed for President Biden. I could say that I know Joe Biden because I know of him. I know some facts about him. I know some of the policy decisions that he would execute in his office as the president. I've seen him speak. I've watched some of the decisions that he's made, but I've never met him. I don't know him personally. I don't have an intimate relationship with him as it, as it were with, uh, uh, with somebody that I would be a close friend with in my life. I have a couple of friends as well who are well known in a common subculture in which we often uh, live of reformed evangelicalism, of uh, the Christianity uh, that we see in our country and in our culture that we often live in. And it makes me smile when I will meet somebody who knows somebody that I, I know that has written some things, they may be known in our little circle of the world, uh, and they'll name drop them but then pronounce their name wrong or something like that. I wonder if you've ever had a friend like that, that uh, you've met somebody and they claim to know somebody that you know but they can't even pronounce their name correctly. Well, this morning we're, we're considering the truth that Jesus makes himself known in such a way that we can know him, not merely know of him, that we can actually know him. We can hear from him for ourselves. And not in an impersonal, detached type of way, but in an intimate way as he truly is. And we'll be considering this from John chapter 4 this morning. So if you have your Bible open, go ahead and open to John chapter 4. I think we've put the text and the bulletin as well. You can follow there if you would like. Uh, but John chapter 4, verse 31 is where we'll begin this morning in camping out. We're thinking about hearing Christ for ourselves. Hearing Christ for yourself, myself, personally. As you turn to the text, here's a little bit of context. Jesus has talked with the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. He taught her that her spiritual thirst is greater, a greater need than her physical thirst. And he alone can give her the water after which she truly thirsts after, which is a living water, which is, that we thought about last week, the Holy Spirit. He loves her enough to expose her sins. He loves her enough to tell her the kind of worship that God accepts, even though it's not the type of worship that she has pursued in Samaria. And after all of this, he describes, the Apostle John describes that she leaves her water jar and tells all the people in her community to come and see a man who told her everything that she ever did and then asks the question, can this be the Christ? Can this be the anointed one? Can this be the Messiah? There is a knowledge even among the Samaritans that have mixed their worship together with the worship of idols that there still is a knowledge of a need for a Christ. And the people started to come to him. Now look at verse 31. This is where we're starting in John chapter 4, verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have no food to eat, that, or I have, rather, food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, 
so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and they stayed there two days. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After the two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Friends, this is God's holy, inerrant, authoritative, infallible, necessary, sufficient, good, just, and satisfying word. I pray that the Lord would write its eternal truth on each of our hearts. The big idea of the text here is Jesus, hear him. Hear him for yourself and know that he is Savior. I have three points to make from this verse in verses 31 to 38. Disciples are sowers and reapers. Disciples are sowers and reapers. Number two, hear for, uh, from Jesus yourself. And don't just take what other people say about him. Go to him yourself and hear from him in his word. And then number three, believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. So number one, we are sinners, or rather, sowers and reapers. And indeed, yes, we are sinners as well. But we are sowers and reapers if we would be his disciples. Our passage begins with an adverb here. You can see it there. It's a pregnant adverb with a meaning. Meanwhile, in the meantime. So at the invitation of the Samaritan woman, people are coming to Jesus. And at the same time, the disciples become concerned that Jesus isn't eating food. Look at verse 31. Meanwhile... The disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. It's customary that disciples would look out for the physical well-being of their teachers, to provide for their teachers. But there's something more important than food that Jesus is pointing out to here in verse 32 to 38. Look at it. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. His conversation here with the disciples is very similar to his conversation with Nicodemus that preceded it, and then also the Samaritan woman at the well. With Nicodemus, Jesus immediately begins to talk about spiritual birth. Immediately, Nicodemus is confused. How can somebody be born again? Go back into his mother's womb and be born? Well, no. With the Samaritan woman, Jesus immediately begins talking about a living water, a giving of the Holy Spirit that wells up to eternal life. And she's confused at first. Are you greater than Jacob, our father, who had to drink from this well, fed his cattle from this well, that we have all had to feed from this well, drink from this well? 
without digging anything, you could just give it? It's just confusion. Jesus is immediately taking the, the immediate context of where he's meeting these people, and he's drawing out spiritual teachings and truths from everything that is surrounding them. So here Jesus begins talking about food, particularly the food of doing God's will in verse 33, and the disciples are confused. You can see it takes them a couple of interactions before they start to catch on. Jesus has no concern, friends, for the awkward transitions of evangelistic conversations. They're confused at first. Jesus is immediately switching the conversation from being born, from drinking water, and now here eating, immediately to the spiritual need for something other than what you can accomplish on your own or what any human being on their own merits can give you. Jesus is not phased by an awkward transition. And so often one of the reasons that we are uncomfortable to share the gospel with people that we know is because there's really no comfortable transition from what we're talking about, maybe your weather, it's a foggy day this morning, it was kind of hard to see further in the distance, the roads are slick or something like that, Some things that we commonly encounter with our neighbors or friends, to transition from a conversation about that to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to their greatest need of needing, needing forgiveness for their sins, a needing of a regeneration by the power of the Holy Spirit. What's the, the smoothest transition that we can come up with? Well, we see Jesus is happy to just go there immediately, without giving explanation at first. I have a living water. I have a water I can give you that you can't get here. My food isn't to eat. It's to do God's will. He's constantly connecting whatever is immediately going on with the spiritual truth. Regeneration, receiving the Holy Spirit, and now being sent. In these verses, Jesus is using his own mission as a model for his commission to the disciples. He does this in at least three different ways. First, the sowers and reapers. Jesus is the reaper. You can see that in verse 36. As he gathers fruit for eternal life from the Samaritan people immediately in this context, right? The, the woman has gone and shared with her community. Here's a guy that told me everything I ever did. Come, is he, is he the Christ? So they're all streaming to him. All right, so he is gathering this fruit for eternal life in verse 36. He's reaping from what has been sown in this particular context from the Samaritan woman as she has shared a testimony about what Jesus did. Many point out the sower-reaper relationship of John the Baptist and Jesus and how much fruit that Jesus gathered was a result of John's sowing. I think that's right and true, but here in this immediate context, the, the fruit that's being reaped or gathered is that the people are coming to Jesus as a direct result of the woman's testimony there in verse 29. Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Sowing is inviting people to come and see Jesus. Come and hear him for yourself. Reaping is gathering people who respond. Brothers and sisters, we can't reap what is not sown. So we have to sow the gospel. Maybe there's people that haven't come before us in order to sow, so that a harvest might be reaped. So friends, invite your friends and family to come and see Jesus in the Bible, in the Word of God. I remember when I was first out of college, I was working downtown in principal, 
trying to share the gospel with my coworkers there. And I remember I'd get so sidetracked on a whole bunch of different side apologetic issues, which are useful and good to pursue. Creationism, you know, whether or not uh, God is able to work miracles in the natural world. It, we'd have conversations that, that span so many different things. And after a while, I realized in these conversations I was having with people, we weren't talking about Jesus. We were talking about a whole bunch of important things that God's word touches on, but they were secondary to the person of Jesus Christ. Me inviting them to behold and hear Jesus as he is for themselves in the word of God. Friends, sow the invitation as far and wide as you possibly can. This is one of the reasons why we exist together as a church, not only to reap what other people have sown, but to sow by preaching the gospel that Jesus knows all of our sin. He knows everything that I ever did. He knows everything that you ever did. And he is able to die in the place of me and you as sinners to save us from God's wrath for all of it. So that's the first aspect of how Jesus is reaping what is sown here applies to us. Second, the food. Consider the food. Verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. You think of Old Testament passages, taste and see that the Lord is good. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsts or longs after the Lord. Or even Moses, where he says that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God's mouth. Jesus quotes that as well in the face of the attacks of the evil one. Or even in Jeremiah chapter 15, where he describes, I ate God's word. Now, thinking about God's word, of his revelation of himself, that is what satisfies us. Here, Jesus, again, his food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. This is more important than food. What Jesus is talking about here is more important than our church meal here in just a little bit after the member meeting this morning. Here it's the harvest of people to eternal life. In verse 36, the fruit is for eternal life. By asking Jesus to eat, they are asking him to slow down on that. But in their concern for his sustenance, they're missing the bigger picture. It's harvest time. That seems to be the point of verse 35. Guys, you see that there's four months and then comes the harvest. Look, now is the harvest. The Samaritans are streaming to me for eternal life. This is the harvest. It's like they're asking a farmer to jump out of the combine when he's in the middle of the road. That's what the disciples are asking Jesus to do here by stopping to eat. No, I can't stop now. We'll eat later after this gathering is done. We have to finish the row first. Rabbi, eat here means stop the work you're doing and eat. This is similar to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 to 38. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. My friends, what are the ways that temporal concerns of this world get in the way of eternal concerns. In this, I think that Jesus here in this passage is a, a good model for us to keep the main things the main things. 
eternal life, the salvation, the, the preaching of the gospel, gathering and reaping souls up to eternal life is the main concern here. It's not the temporal need, but the eternal need that should be the main thing. Friends, are we willing to make sacrifices for the, the will of God, the food that Jesus is eating here, to save sinners? Or are we so self-focused on temporal things like physical food that we're unwilling to make any sacrifices to sow the gospel and reap souls? Do we prioritize souls over food? Is the gospel more important to us than temporal things that will pass away? Is the eternal life of those that we know and love worth more than me time? Number three, another way that Jesus' actions here is a good model for us. Notice the joy in verse 36. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. This is the joy that we labor for, whether sowing or reaping, the salvation of souls, seeing sinners saved from hell. This is our food, and when we feast, we rejoice. So friends, share the gospel, gather people. Share the gospel, gather people. This is the food, the will of God. This is what we rejoice in. Whether or not we reaped, we, or whether or not we sowed, we reap. And whether or not we reap, we sow. Longing for the day, we may not see it here and now in this world, but we long for the day when we will be together with the sowers and the reapers, Praising God and rejoicing for the souls that were saved by the power of the gospel alone through the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus' food, friends, and this is ours. So, friends, share the gospel. So, reap people, souls, gather people. Again, this is what we live for. This is the will of God the Father, the mission of Jesus Christ. This is the commission of Christ's disciples in the church. Yes, we have work. Yes, we live in physical bodies. We have to eat. We have friends and family that we need to care for in this world. Yes, I'm not saying starve in the next three days and die because you didn't eat food. That's not the point. But all of this is secondary. We have to acknowledge this and get the, you know, the, the horse before the cart, as it were, as the, in the way that we think about these things. The secondary thing is the temporal stuff. The primary thing is the spiritual, eternal stuff. Again, this is our mission as a church, to preach and gather, to sow and to reap. Preach the gospel, gather disciples in the church by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the Trinity, Following Jesus Christ is to enter into the labor of others who came before us. And as Jesus tarries, this joyful labor will then pass to those who come after us. And we may not be able to see the fruit of the conversions, of the, of the reaping in our lifetime, but one day in God's kingdom we will rejoice together as sowers and gatherers as we see the glorious things that God has done through simple faithfulness. As we sacrifice food and treasure here, we are storing up treasure in heaven. 
in the form of souls that make it through the judgment fire of God. Souls that are saved through the blood of Jesus Christ alone unto eternal life. This is what Jesus has commissioned us to do as disciples, sowers and reapers, sowers and reapers. So we should be asking ourselves the question, how do I steward my family in a way that is subservient to this commission? Sowers and reapers, sowers and reapers. How do I steward my job in such a way that I can follow Christ, both his model and example, but his commission? Sower and reaper, sower and reaper. How, how do I steward my relationships subservient to this commission in Christ, being a sower and a reaper? Friends, we can't let the temporal concerns of this life get in the way of the primary. What are the ways that our flesh tells us to stop and rest, stop and eat, when we should be sacrificing comfort in order to sow and reap? Number two, we hear Jesus for ourselves, even as we see him encounter Nicodemus, the Samaritan woman, and on. A common misconception that many have is that growing up in a Christian home or even going to a faithful church means that someone is a Christian with certainty that they will certainly be a Christian because they grew up in that context or live somehow in that context. I've heard this in a few different ways. I grew up a Christian. I've tried Christianity. I was baptized, but I no longer follow Christ. You know, but friends, we, we have to acknowledge our limitations. Faithful sowing is simply being faithful to share the gospel and invite friends to come to Jesus. Hear for yourself from Christ in his word in the Bible. Faithful reaping is to give attention to make sure that people are responding, that they have a right knowledge of Jesus Christ for themselves, that they have heard him in his word, encountered the living Christ for themselves in the Bible. And whether spouses, parents, siblings, friends, children, we want to share what we know about Jesus Christ with them, and then we can bring them to Jesus in the word of God, so that they would encounter him for themselves in the very word of God. This used to be one of the main goals of education and literacy. This is one of the reasons why Christians are described as a people of the book. It's important to be able to read because it's in the word of God, in the Bible, that we encounter Christ, that we hear Christ for ourselves. And we don't have to rely on just assumptions or cultural assumptions, personal assumptions that people may have taught us. It's a great blessing to have loved ones who have prayed for us, who have trusted in the gospel, who have taught us. But even kids growing up, and maybe some of you have experienced this before, can struggle for, to, to discern how the faith that their parents or their loved ones have professed, how that can become theirs. It's hard sometimes to discern, is the faith that I'm professing my own, as I have heard Christ for myself, or am I just parroting what I heard from my parents or the church that I grew up going to? It can be somewhat of an existential crisis for many growing up in churches and in Christian homes. But look at verses 39 through 42. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. 
So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, And it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Many believed because of the woman's testimony, a faith in Christ built on the right and true testimony of others. It's not a second-class faith as long as the testimony is right and true. In many ways, that's what we have in the Bible, the testimony of others. But the New Testament, particularly the Gospel accounts, give us the ability to encounter Jesus for ourselves. But then we see as well in the writing of the apostles, that they made claims that the stuff that they were teaching was the very commands of Jesus Christ. So we don't give priority to the red letters in the Bible, the, the quotation marks around where Jesus is speaking and de-emphasize all the rest. No, we understand that as we read through the New Testament, both as we see Jesus Christ revealing himself in the Gospel accounts, but then also in the application of what Jesus had taught through the apostles and the rest of the New Testament, we are encountering the Lord Jesus Christ, the very Word of God. We read in 2 Peter chapter 1 that the testimony that we have in Scripture is a more sure word than even if we had witnessed Jesus Christ himself in the transfiguration. We've already seen this in how Jesus talked with the first disciples and the way that he talked with his mother at Cana how he cleansed the temple, how he talked with Nicodemus, how he encountered John the Baptist's disciples, and now the Samaritan woman, and now the Samaritans that are coming to him. As we read how Jesus talked with them, as we see the apostles teaching the commands of Christ throughout the rest of the New Testament, we begin to see Jesus and hear him talking to us, hear him for ourselves as we read through the New Testament. So that eventually, when Jesus says to Peter, who do people say that the Son of Man is? We hear Jesus talking to us. And then Jesus follows that up with, but who do you say that I am? Have we heard from Jesus Christ himself in the word of God, in the revelation of the new covenant in the New Testament? In this, Jesus is connecting being born again or regenerated by the Holy Spirit with hearing Jesus for ourselves as he is revealed in the Bible and deciding if we will follow him based off of hearing from him for ourselves in his word. This is one of the reasons why pastoral ministry we see to Timothy is to constantly emphasize the regular public reading of the scriptures. This is why he is commissioned to be regularly expositing or preaching Rightly dividing the word of truth. Friends, don't be satisfied by simply hearing the testimony of others, but observe and hear from Christ himself in his word. This is one of the things that we aim to do together as a church in what we call expositional preaching. Or what our Australian friends call explicatory preaching. Preaching is our corporate pursuit to hear Jesus Christ for ourselves together. Right? First, God made us as relational people, so we grow in hearing Jesus when we listen together with other people as we read the Bible. Also, the passages that we read together 
We'll see often how our sin is exposed in ways that we would avoid how God's word would confront us in our sins. We need that. But second, we have to be honest that we don't hear Jesus very well, often, individually. Either we don't prioritize prayer, communing with the one true and living God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and the giving of the Holy Spirit. We often don't prioritize reading the Bible very well. We too often don't prioritize worshiping Christ in private when nobody's looking. Or in our sin, we twist the scriptures and we rob Jesus Christ of his authority. One way that we hear Jesus for ourselves well is through gathering with God's people around the regular preaching of God's word together as a church. This is the purpose that we read in Ephesians chapter 4 for elders and teachers in the life of a church to seek to edify or build up the church. As the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 4, until we all maintain the unity of the, uh, of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. The implication is that the very thing that Paul prays for in chapter 2 is that we would grow in our knowledge of Christ, of hearing, knowing Christ, hearing Christ for ourselves, that the method, the normal, ordinary means method of doing that is by going to church and being instructed by pastors, elders, teachers in the life of the church, and that's how we are built up for the work of the ministry, and that's how we are helped to be protected from the temptations of sin and false teaching. As we seek to hear Christ for ourselves, friends, be aware of the stuff that plugs up your ears. What are the things that get in the way of your ears from hearing from Christ for yourself? Don't assume that because we have heard of Christ in the Bible years ago that you're done hearing from Christ. None of us have arrived at an exhaustive knowledge of Jesus Christ. I think that some of us who have been Christians for decades can attest to the fact that you've only begun learning of the beauty of Jesus Christ. So we got go to God's word again and again. right? And here we are in the new year, the, the first week has passed by. Right? But there's, there's no shame. Maybe you make resolutions. Maybe you don't. But friends, often a new year is a good time to double down on the priorities that we have in our life. So it's not too late. It's never too late, as long as we have life and breath. But double down on the priorities of pursuing to hear from Christ for yourself in his word. Whether that's in your individual Bible reading and prayer, or whether that's gathering together with the church. As they say, failing to plan is planning to fail. So what are you planning? Know that sinful laziness will keep us from hearing Christ for ourselves in his word. So fight the world, fight the flesh, fight the devil on this level. The food of God's will is more important than physical food. So friends, establish a routine. I bet that you plan every day to eat a couple meals. Maybe one meal for some of us that are hard driven. Maybe three, three meals a day, 
Our second breakfast, 11 seats here, you can go through those as well. I don't know what types of meals you plan throughout the course of your days and your weeks. But friends, do you plan your, your meals in the Word? Do you plan feasting upon the beauty of Christ, maybe not even in the Word, but in the middle of the day? Doubling down on remembering why you have life. Being thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ. And using all of my efforts for the glory of God and not for my benefit. Make a plan or plan to fail. And even as we hunger for food, so hunger for Christ. As you read the word, beg of God to grow you in hearing from Christ for yourself. Do this in a couple of ways. First, don't let personal or cultural assumptions stop up your ears. As you read the Bible, listen to who Jesus reveals himself to be in the word, plainly. Don't import assumptions that you had growing up or assumptions that other people in the culture have about who Jesus is. Let Jesus confront you for who he is in, in his word. He is not distant. He is not unengaged. Even though he has authority over all things, he is patient and kind. He isn't harsh or vindictive, but loving and merciful. At the same time, he is a shepherd who knows how to firmly rebuke. He is a physician who knows how to diagnose. He is a shepherd who knows how to guide. He is unwavering in his commitment to truth. He is un unwavering to truth even in regard to the type of offense that it would meet in the hearts of sinners like us. He is just. There is no injustice in Jesus Christ. He is honest about our sin. He hits us in the face with the truth of hell. Friends, have Jesus of the word, the, the Jesus of who he truly is. Not a figment of your imagination, but who he has revealed himself to be in the word of God, be the Jesus that we come to hear. Don't run on imagination and assumption. Number two, hear Christ for yourself instead of constantly hearing about him from others. I phrased that wrong. For others. So often we hear about Christ and then we quickly divert to thinking about how, oh, this other person needs to hear this from Jesus and not me. As a kid, uh, we had clever tactics of avoiding personal application. He or she started it. We hear that from kids. I said it myself. I still say it today sometimes. Blame shifting. Avoiding responsibility by pointing out the sins of others. Another one. I liked this one when I was a kid. I thought it was funny, but I am rubber and you're glue. Whatever you say to me bounces off of me and sticks to you. I've heard that before. But the ultimate trump card was today's opposite day. Whenever I'm being confronted about something that was true about me, I'd be like, well, but today's opposite day. You know. So I try and flip the switch or to avoid some kind of accountability. And whether kids or adults, friends, we have a propensity of hearing truth and then immediately dodging how it would hit my heart, dodging how it would convict me of my sin by throwing that conviction at somebody else in our life, failing to look at the, the, the log in my eye, to look at the speck in others. I don't know if 
You ever saw the, the cartoon movies Kung Fu Panda? The second one, in my opinion, was the best one. But Poe, the panda, he learns how to take the momentum of these cannonballs that are being shot at him, and then he somehow uses the momentum then to fling them off at other targets. It's kind of fun to watch. Well, then, friends, that's what we're like when Jesus confronts us so often. We would take the, the, the momentum of that confrontation and then throw it at somebody else. Friends, take it. He is the great physician. He exposes our sin so that he might do away with our sin and his work on the cross. His work of exposition of our sin, of confrontation of sin, exposes the beauty of his comfort in the midst of his correction. Number three, this is the third point. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Jesus is not only the Savior of the Jews, but of the whole world. Don't lose the context. So remember, from verse 9, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. That's where he's at here. Verse 22, salvation is from the Jews. He says that in response to kind of the comparative religion question that the Samaritan woman asks him. Salvation is from the Jews, but here, early in Jesus' ministry in the Gospel according to John, we see that salvation is not limited to the Jews. The passage closes with Jesus going back to Galilee where he grew up. Look at verses 43 through 44 again. After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having, him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. The gospel, according to John, beautifully teaches us of this early period of Jesus' ministry that we don't see in what's often referred to as the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They don't include these early encounters in their accounts. And Jesus ministered to non-Jewish Samaritans here. From the start, Jesus came to save a people from every tribe and tongue and language, from every nation. He came to save people long rejected by the people of God for their idolatry and intermarriage with unbelieving nations. And Jesus has the compassion to have dealings with these people that the Jews refuse to have any dealings with. I wonder if you can see the beauty in that. If you have any type of relatability to being cast out or being somebody who is diminished or shamed within culture, canceled as it were, Somebody that nobody else is willing to have any dealings with. And then somebody within that people, a Samaritan woman who has multiple husbands, now living with a man, fornicating with somebody who is not her husband, rejected even from among the idolaters that the Jews rejected. Jesus goes and seeks her out. This is a beautiful Savior. While Jesus is focused on teaching the Jews first about who he is, he doesn't withhold his mercy to reveal himself in this brief two-day period in Samaria. Look at that. Jesus decides to stay at their request. Jesus, would you stay? We want to know more. We want to hear from you more. This is God's kindness to condescend to sinners that don't deserve mercy. That God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, the Logos, the Word become flesh, would come and stay with them a couple of days and teach them about himself. Teach them about salvation. Teach them about the same stuff that he's been teaching Nicodemus and others 
that unless the Holy Spirit causes you to be born again, you have no hope to enter the kingdom of God. Unless you are regenerated, washed with the washing of regeneration by the Holy Spirit, you have no hope that God would ever hear your prayers. Unless you trust in me as the Christ for two days. Jesus breaks down the dividing walls of ethnic and racial division and strife. He breaks down the dividing walls between the rich and the poor. He breaks down the dividing walls of the culturally shunned and the socially unaccepted. Jesus came to save sinners from every tribe, tongue, and nation. My friends, what are the cultural assumptions and barriers that would hold us back from sharing Christ? There is no human barrier that we can put up that Jesus cannot tear down. Jesus is the only way that sinners can be saved from the eternal conscious torment that we deserve for our sin against the one true and living holy God. God's judgment is truly coming and Jesus is the only hope for any of us. This may mean, friends, that we have to make sacrifices to take the gospel to those that so many others would reject. Whether it's in missions, taking the gospel to the nations, seeking to share the gospel with people that would try to kill us, even. Seeking to share the gospel with nations that are so often seen as horrible places, third world countries around the world, that so many in, in the world would look down upon, and yet those are souls made in the image of God that Jesus came to save sinners from. It may simply mean sharing the gospel with your family member or a neighbor, or for whatever reason that you have decided or they have decided to not have any dealings with you. Who are the people in each of our lives that Jesus would go after and spend a couple of days with to show him who he is, that they would hear from him for themselves? Who are those people that we would try to avoid? Do we think our intuitions have more authority than the power of Christ and the omniscience of Jesus? Again, friends, Jesus is the only Savior of the world. So do we truly believe that? If we truly believe that, then we share the gospel with everybody. We want to expose our friends and our relationship spheres to hearing Christ. So read the Bible with them. Give them a Bible. This is what Christians have done throughout the course of history. Teach people to read so that they can read the Bible. One of the things that this acknowledges is that, friends, that we need saving. If Jesus is a Savior, friends, we need saving. We need saving from our sin. We need saving from this world. We need saving from the power of the devil. We need saving from the just wrath of God. None of us have lived the way that we should have lived. None of us have perfectly kept God's commands. We haven't done what we should have done, and we have done things that we should not have done with our lives. God's judgment, friends, is coming, and none of us know the day that we will die or the day that Jesus comes again that we will have to give an account for our thoughts, our words, the intentions of our hearts, our actions. The only salvation that we can have is if we acknowledge our sin Confess it, trusting in Jesus' death that is a, a worthy sacrifice, an acceptable sacrifice in the place of me, sinner. And trusting in Jesus' rise, rising from the dead for the sake of 
justifying sinners. They count me righteous, not through my righteousness, but the alien righteousness of Jesus Christ applied to my account. Friends, do we hear this from Jesus Christ for ourselves? Do we believe it? And if we believe it, well, friends, don't let that hearing of Christ die with you. Expose the people that you know and love to hear Christ, that they might have the only Savior who would be their advocate on their behalf. A biblical personal relationship with Jesus Christ is public. Because in our personal knowledge of Christ, we know that the people that we love will perish in God's eternal wrath and hell if they don't come to this knowledge as well. Friends, don't keep it secret. If you're here this morning and you're not trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ, talk with me, talk with a person you came with or a member of the church after the service about how you can hear from Jesus Christ for yourself. That you might find forgiveness for your sins through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That you would have a hope that somehow overcomes all of the darkness of this world, the suffering and the death that we see surround us on every side. That you can have a hope of eternal life, of being reconciled to God eternally in his kingdom forever, feasting with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Friends, give yourself to hearing of Christ. Use your life to hear from him for yourself, to know he is Savior. Don't be satisfied to run on intuition, and don't be satisfied to merely run off of testimony of friends that you know, but go to him in his word, in the Bible, and hear from him for yourself, and find the comfort, the rest, the assurance, and the satisfaction that he alone can give sinners like us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word, we give you thanks for your condescension, that Jesus came and took on human flesh so that we would have a high priest who can relate to us in the midst of our weaknesses, who can be the true go-between, that is able to make atonement between you, who is able to tear the curtain, the cordon off the holiest place of your presence from the people. So we have full access to your presence through Jesus Christ. Father, as we read through the gospel according to John, we behold Christ more and more in this text. We pray that you would cause us to leave off putting our hope in empty things in this world. Father, help us to find satisfaction in Christ alone, not the food that we eat. Father, protect us from giving in to mere animal instincts of just going from moment to moment throughout the course of our days and the monotony of the week. But Father, help us to feast upon Jesus Christ by faith. Now, Father, we pray that you would help us to hear Christ for ourselves, that we might confess together with the Apostle Peter that Jesus Christ is the Christ, that he is the Son of the living God. Who do you say that Jesus is? Father, we say that he is the Christ, and he is our only hope. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.